Welcome to the Circuit of Success Podcast. The Circuit of Success Podcast. With your host, Brett. Brett. Brett Gilliland. Brett Gilliland, Visionary Wealth Advisory. The Circuit of Success Podcast. Let's start the show. It's this feeling of misalignment between an advisor's goals and that of their firm, which drives change more than any other motivator. Because when your vision is conflicting with that of your firm, it becomes difficult, if not impossible, to serve your clients and grow your business. As a managing director at Northwestern Mutual, Brett Gilliland found that the lack of alignment could not be more apparent, nor more limiting. In his role, he wore multiple hats from serving as a financial advisor, plus recruiter with the responsibility for the training and development of novice advisors. But as he became more successful, he also became less satisfied, and the feeling of being at odds with the goals Northwestern became more apparent. He wanted greater agency over how he served clients. He wanted to be able to freely market. He wanted to give unbiased, unconflicted advice without feeling pigeonholed into selling insurance. And ultimately, as he put it, he wanted to play in a different sandbox. So after 13 years with Northwestern, he decided it was time to build something that was more aligned with his vision. And in March of 2014, RIA firm Visionary Wealth Advisors was born. But it's his Jerry Maguire exit story that's really compelling and a true testament to the respect and trust he developed with his team at Northwestern. Today, Visionary manages some $1.8 billion in assets and has 30 advisors on the team. In this episode, Brett talks with Lewis Diamond, sharing details about the motivation behind his move, his unique perspective as a managing director at Northwestern, how he is able to fully realize his vision as an independent business owner, and of course, shares a resignation story unlike any other, plus much more. So let's get to it. Brett, thanks so much for joining us today. Absolutely. It's good to be with you. Very good. Why don't you tell us about yourself and how you got started in the business? Yeah, I went to Eastern Illinois University and right out of college, decided I wanted to be in the financial planning business. Back then, this was the early 2000, I guess 2001, and they were called stockbrokers back then. And and that's what I wanted to do. Knew that right out of college. And it really goes back to when I was about 15 years old. My my cousin, Dean, was actually a stockbroker and they drove the gold BMW, had the speakers in the headrest. And that was pretty cool, right? When you're 15 years old. And so I thought for sure I wanted to do that. And so I went to a job fair and, and found the uh, financial planning stockbroker world. And here we are almost 20 years later. Perfect. And your your most recent employment before launching your own RIA was as a managing director at Northwestern Mutual. Can you talk a little bit about that role in your day-to-day? Because my understanding is you weren't a full-time advisor. You had some other duties and responsibilities as well. Absolutely. So I was a managing director at my previous firm and we were responsible for recruiting. That's a big recruiting world where I was at previously. And so we were in charge of recruiting advisors to what we called our district office. I was in Edwardsville, Illinois. We still have an office there to this day, but that's what I was doing. I was recruiting advisors into this business. We also had a college internship program where we would have anywhere from 20 to 25 interns. I had a team of people that whether it was a college unit director or field directors or mentors, 
recruiters, a great team of people around me, but, but that's what we had to do. We had to go out and recruit new advisors to the firm. And these weren't like industry folks. These were people that were brand new, just like myself, right out of college, didn't have any experience. So there was tons of recruiting, training, development, mentor meetings, one-off drive-by meetings, maybe being about how do you prospect? How do you make more phone calls? How do you find more prospects? And so on and so forth. But then also was a financial advisor and did that at a high level as well. So it was one of the things I really enjoyed because I was doing multiple things throughout the day wearing lots of different hats. Excellent. It sounds like the Northwestern model of recruiting, it's kind of like churn and burn. You're expecting that a lot of folks aren't going to make it through the program. So I'm curious, what separated the advisors that ultimately made it and went on to have successful careers? Yeah, I mean, there's so many different things we've looked at over the years. And so when I looked at the success that we had from a recruiting standpoint, I learned that they grew up with what I would call, I'm using air quotes here since you can't see me, but a normal background. And what I mean by that is they were blessed with a great family life. They had support at home, whether that was growing up as a child, but also in their adult life. And what, again, what I just call this normal life, which is maybe that's fair, maybe it's not fair, but it, it just, it, it seemed like they had a lot of support around them from loved ones. And I think that's so important. This business can be very lonely, especially when you're 23, 22, 24 years old, and you're running around trying to find prospects. And it was completely different. The ones that we found that were successful, a lot of them were career changers. We had a testing program. If they did a certain test on this personality, we found that they did well. But I also saw an athletic background. I mean, at one time we had, I think it was 16 advisors that I had recruited that were all college athletes. And that doesn't mean you're going to only be successful if you're a college athlete. But for us, that's what we found were the college athletes were working in that environment, right? Because you had to go out and make a name for yourself. You had to go out and prospect. You had to be driven. You had to go out and make 40 or 50 or 60 phone calls every single day. And you had to get 25 referrals a week. And you all these activity drivers that you had to do that, quite frankly, I probably wouldn't be in this business if it wasn't for those things when I was in my early 20s. But I had to do it. And I found the people that were competitive and wanted to be great in things at life, those were the ones that were the most successful. Very interesting. And I mean, so much of the industry's attention, I know our whole business, um, not to mention, is focused on recruiting experienced advisors, because obviously they come with clients, they can hit the ground running, they're already pre-trained. Do you have a viewpoint though on if someone is building a firm from the ground up, what do you think is a better approach? Is it bringing on experienced folks with books or kind of what you did at Northwestern, which was career changers, ex-athletes and entry-level advisors? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And, and what we did was, and I don't know if necessarily we meant to do this, and I say we, Tim Hammett, my business partner who co-founded Visionary Wealth Advisors with me, when we started Visionary, so he was just a, and I say just, meaning he was a wealth management advisor. He was doing fee-based financial planning at Northwestern, and I was doing the recruiting, developing, training, and still being a, a financial advisor as well. And so the two of us came together and almost immediately thought we could do this differently. I always say the sandbox was I was playing in was, let's just say, a size of a piece of paper, and I wanted it to be the size of the football field. And that's what I saw in the RIA space that was out there, that the sky's the limit and you can do so much for your clients that I couldn't do at that time at that role. And we immediately went to no longer doing any career changers, no inexperienced people. We just like literally cold turkey. I just went to the starting to recruit experienced advisors and 
what we found was that people were looking for a platform where they could go and have some independence, but also be interdependent. And so the advisors that we have now are just doing so well because there is an interdependent relationship with us, with Visionary and with those advisors. They own their own book of business. They own their clients. But at the same time, they're not in business by themselves, right? They're for themselves, but not by themselves. And we just found that there was a really a big market out there for experienced advisors that want that type of platform. Understood. And let's go back to when you're still at Northwestern. Of course, you could have just stayed at the firm. You sound like you're a successful advisor in your own right, kept recruiting, kept leveraging the infrastructure. But instead, you opted to transition to form your own RIA firm back in 2014. Can you elaborate on what some of your frustrations were and maybe what you felt you couldn't do for your clients there? For me, it was as I was becoming more and more successful, I was becoming less satisfied with my career. And really what did it for me is I was fortunate enough to make what they call forum inside of Northwestern Mutual, which is, a, I think it's, I don't know, the top 250 advisors, let's call it. And I remember not being real, real happy, even though I just had a phenomenal year with production. We had just led the company in recruiting for managing directors. So there was a lot of things going well, but for some reason I still wasn't satisfied and I didn't know what that was. And so I just kept kind of looking internal for me and I wanted that entrepreneurial spirit, right? I wanted to go out and build something. I wanted to go out and build a brand. I wanted to build something uh, that our clients were excited about and proud of and, and who they were working with. And I say all this in there is a ton of great people at Northwestern Mutual. I still have friends uh, there to this day. They're doing great work for people. So it wasn't necessarily that. It was just more for me was I wanted to do something more. I wanted to, again, to build something. And I think there we were building a nice income, but we weren't building an asset. We weren't really building a firm because you're doing it for the mothership, if you will. And for me, it just became, again, that I wanted to play in a different sandbox and whether it's to have a podcast or do some things that we do now that you just couldn't do there and comprehensive financial planning where you're not biased on either a product or what avenue they need to go down as a client. We wanted to be unbiased and have this independent firm that we could just say, this is how we're going to serve clients going forward. Definitely. And did being in more of a managerial role, kind of seeing how the sausage was made, did that change your vantage point? on, and I guess your motivation to leave. And did you get a better look or a different look on what was slowing or limiting down the advisors that were under your tutelage? Yeah, but I, I think too is, and I can't say this for the previous firm in every city around the country, obviously. And again, there's great people everywhere. But for us, it was this stereotype as well as when I threw that business card down, people would automatically just, oh, I'm good. I don't need insurance. And I got so tired for 12 and a half years of doing that. That's, that really drained on me over the years. And it got to a point where that's not what I'm about. It's not coming and just trying to sell you insurance. Is, is insurance certainly part of a financial plan? Of course it is. I think we all know that people that are doing comprehensive wealth management planning, but it's not the only piece, right? And I think that's where I think we got pigeonholed into thinking you're just the insurance person. And that feeling wasn't great. Uh, again, even though it, it can have some good products, it wasn't great. And so we wanted more and we wanted to go out and I keep saying comprehensive financial planning, but that's what we wanted to do. And where we weren't pigeonholed into this corner of you're just that sales guy. It was more about the relationship and the impact we're having on the community and the impact we're having on those clients' lives on more ways than just a life insurance or a, a, an investment. 
and what have you. There's more to it than that. And I think that's really what we're focused on is the whole person here at Visionary is building that with the right people. I don't know if we can cuss on here, Lewis, but we call it the no a-hole rule, <laughs> right? So no a-hole is the recruit criteria here. And that's the first step is making sure that we want to be around you. You want to be around us and that we're going to be a good fit. And I found that you had to, you had more control over that as I was researching what this RIA thing was, is I had control over that versus just having to recruit, quite frankly, a bunch of kids like me, right? 22 years old, right out of college. And I always joked that I couldn't even spell investments or insurance when I started, but it was like, I want to do more with higher, more sophisticated people because that's what the community wants, right? That's what they want in their financial advisor. And I just, quite frankly, I always say my gray hair and the wrinkles aren't from four kids. It's from having to recruit people that hopefully one or two out of 10 of those people would make it long-term in the business. And I just couldn't do that any longer. Yeah, definitely. And I think what you're mentioning around feeling like you and your practice were kind of at odds with the mantra or the reputation of Northwestern is the term incongruence. We hear it often from advisors at many different types of firms, whether they're at a bank dominated firm saying, I'm not a banker. I like recommending bank products where it makes sense, similar to how you probably enjoy recommending insurance products where it makes sense, but you don't want that to be the driving force. If you have a vision that's different from what the firm really wants you to be, then many advisors look at it as a means to kind of escape that box and build their own. So that's perfect pivot point here. Before we get to what you coined your Jerry Maguire style moment, kind of a <laughs> teaser for what's to come, let's talk first about your due diligence process back probably 2012, 2013, before launching the firm. So you founded Visionary Wealth Advisors as a RA hybrid, but what else did you look at before settling on this route? It's actually amazing. I didn't really look at too many things. I, I would literally go in my office. I can picture it to this day as clear as can be. And, and I would look up independence and I would type in the financial independence and different things. I knew I wanted to stay in this industry. I love what we get to do every day. I love that we get to help people achieve a future greater than their past. That's our firm's mission statement. And that is so critically important for me, for our advisors and for the things that we do for people. But it was just one of those things that I kept coming back to this independent RIA, registered investment advisor. And growing up in the insurance, the Northwestern Mutual world, I didn't know, even know what an RIA was. But I, everything I read, I'm like, I want that. And I kept reading it and I kept studying it. And when I say kept, I mean, this went on from November of 2013 to January of 2014. So this was about a month and a half. I can't even tell you how much stuff I read on an RIA and what it meant. I scheduled a meeting with one of our custodians and they came to St. Louis and I went and had a meeting with them. And, and that was with Tim, my business partner. And it was just one of those things when I called Tim and I said, hey, what keeps you here at Northwestern? I was hopeful that he was going to give me this long drawn out reason of why it was the greatest place on earth. And what happened was four and a half hours later, we got off the telephone from one phone call four and a half hours later in January of 2014, early January, and said, okay, I can't do this without you. You can't do this without me. Let's go build something great. And literally fast forward, not even 90 days later, Visionary Wealth Advisors was started. It was an incredible 90 days and it was a lot of fun and still a lot of fun to this day. And I just look back at that and I'm just, I'm glad we took the risk to make the jump. The ecosystem seven, eight years ago is very different than today. 
but did you consider either plugging into an existing infrastructure or hiring more of a platform or service provider? Didn't know. Did not even look at those opportunities at all. Not one of them. I mean, it was just one of those things we knew early on we wanted to build something and we just went all in, kind of burned the ships. It's let's go, let's make it happen. And we did. And like I said, met with our custodians and hired our you know legal counsel firm and, and to help us build the RIA and then literally just the way it went. Amazing. Okay. So this is the, I think the exciting part of the interview. You told me the, the story when we were preparing for this interview. I want to hear the story in as much detail as you can share about resignation day. You coined it your Jerry Maguire style moment. And I think it's <laughs> such a unique story. It's very different than how I think many folks would approach this, but it's instructive. And I think demonstrates your conviction for why this was the right move for you. Yeah. It's one of those days I wish I would have just been able to film somehow, like had this camera above my head or something. It's just the emotions that went into it. I remember it was March 24th, 2014. It was a kind of a dreary Monday in St. Louis and uh, our managing partner was in St. Louis. I was about 30 minutes outside of it. And I remember texting him that morning and just saying, Hey, um, I'm going to swing by your office. I can't remember seven or seven 30. Do you have a couple minutes? And he said, is everything okay? And I said, with my health and with my family, everything is okay. And that was kind of the end of it. What you don't know about me, Lewis, I'm a very nervous person. I grew up very anxious and I call it my comfort zone callus. Callus is on your hands from playing golf or working in the yard or doing whatever you're doing. And and I think that we as humans can get these calluses around our comfort zone and we don't want to break through those. And I've tried now for 20 years to constantly break out of my comfort zone. And this was one of those defining moments. It was arguably one of the biggest decisions uh, professionally, if not probably the biggest decision actually that I've ever made in my life. And so I went and resigned and it was splashing water on my face in the bathroom before I went in there. I was so nervous. And I walked down because again, I was doing what you needed to do. And I was on the board for the managing directors at their home office, their national headquarters. And I was doing the things that you needed to do to be successful, but I just wasn't happy. And I thought at the time, I think I was 36, 37. I didn't want to do that the rest of my life. And I needed to take this risk. And this risk was I had 23, 24 advisors in my district office. I owned the building that I was in. So I had my own lease because Northwestern doesn't sign the lease. At least I didn't at that time. I had my own lease in my own building and all these people, right, that worked with us. So it was very scary. It was a very big risk. And I went in, I resigned and he said, what would you like to do? And I said, well, I feel like I would like to go at least tell everybody in our office that I'm leaving. I'm resigning. I feel like I owe that to them. I've recruited and trained and developed every single one of these people. And I've spent countless hours and blood, sweat and tears with these folks. I owe it to them. And he said, okay, I can be there at 1130. So I went and kind of just sat in my car for a couple hours and just what just happened kind of moment. And then went into my own district office and had everybody in the firm there and was able to tell them what I did and that I was leaving and that I started this place called Visionary Wealth Advisors, named probably like a week before that because everything was happening so quickly. So long story short, that was about an hour and 20 minute meeting and a guy in the back of the room, Joe's his name, Joe Reiniger, and he says, that raises his hand, he says, what about all those people that want to go with Brett? And in my internal body was screaming and jumping up and down, but I had to stay really calm and collective, right? But I was just, that was Joe and I still to this day, who's with us, we talk about that. And so it was just one of those moments, right? It was like, wow, hopefully this happens. This is my Jerry Maguire moment. I'm leaving. Who's coming with me? And I literally left my own office, went to a restaurant, and I got the biggest table that you could get. 
And I sat there for 10 or 15 minutes by myself. And I'm like, oh, goodness, this is not good. And then all of a sudden, and it gives me chills thinking about it, all of a sudden, one by one, in comes these advisors. And it's the big hug. It's the big bear hug of, oh, my gosh, let me hear more. Let me hear more. And within 24 to 48 hours, 15 of those advisors left and came with us. Holy cow. And it was incredible. That is incredible. And what was the pitch? How did you, obviously you built up trust and respect and all of that. That's earned. It's not pitched, but obviously these advisors are trusting their life's work to you and their families. So what did you say to get them over the finish line? Yeah, it was painting a vision. I mean, hence the name visionary wealth advisors. I mean, it's what the future can and will be like if you look up the definition. And so we wanted to paint this picture for what the future will and could be like for these advisors. I mean, I think Anybody that's in an environment where, and this isn't just a Northwestern thing, this is any environment where you start over every single month, you're starting over at zero and you got to go out and eat what you kill. And you got to just stay on all day long, every single day. And it's hard to build true, long lasting, values based, deep relationships with clients when you're constantly in sales mode. And I think those advisors knew that. Some of those advisors at that time were seven years in the business, some of them were two years in the business. And it goes back to, yes, you talked about trust and respect, but it also went back to a relationship. And that relationship was built over two, five, seven years of being in the trenches with them and being with them every single morning, literally Monday through Friday at 730, we would have meetings and it was training meetings and just sitting down and talking meetings. It was accountability meetings. It was idea sharing meetings. And you do that for that long, you build this relationship. And then they see a future that's greater than their past. And then they just, they literally, and I don't take this lightly, right? They literally resigned from their careers to go and follow this vision and this dream. And I look at them now, seven years later, seven plus years later, they're all doing better than they were doing before. Every single one of them is doing better than they were before. So their future is greater than their past. Their present is greater than their past. And it's just cool to look back at that and see the things that are happening now in these people's lives. And it's just unreal to me to think that people would put their trust in something like that with literally no business cards, no website done, no logo done, nothing. And they said, let's go. We're all in. Just an idea. Yeah. And it's so different than most advisors that are breaking away to establish their own independent firm. There's likely the, the key advisors are on board they're probably involved in the due diligence or at least consulted throughout the process. It's oftentimes though, it's the support team that's kind of left in the dark just for confidentiality purposes. But you really took this confidentiality and discreteness to a whole new level. It's a pretty insane story. And I'm curious too, I mean, anyone who goes independent is taking a risk. They're taking the risk of what if my business doesn't come, taking the risk of not having an income for a period of time, taking the risk of not getting a big check by going to a broker-dealer firm. So not only did you take that risk, but you also owned the building you were in and did this without really knowing what the base of the business would look like. How did you reconcile doing this and just going for it? A lot of uh, faith and hope. (laughs) Just I mean, literally just faith and hope and trust. And I believed in relationships. I believed in myself. I believed in what we were going to go build. I believed in the advisors and our team and our staff that came with us as well. And that was just the advisors. We also had, who's now our COO, Kate Hurt is her name now, but Kate Solberger, she came with us. 
from day one and Robin Edwards and so many others that just came with us, Lauren Huber, they were with us from day one back at that firm. And they said, you know what? Yeah, we're also going to come with you as well. And so it just was one of those things that I think in life, sometimes you don't make that big decision until it hurts enough. And for me, the upside was so great. The downside, I was just so less than worried about it because I thought if I can make a career and do this and the amount of sales and the activity and the grit that you have to do, which I'm thankful for, I thought, you know what, even if this thing doesn't work, we'll figure it out. But honestly, I mean, I bet you know there was a few sleepless nights, but I would say 95% of the thought was all positive and just the expectations of what would happen. Yeah, just thinking about what was possible. So end of your first year as visionary, you had around 300 million in assets across 12 advisors. And today you shared you're north of 1.8 billion in assets and about 30 advisors. How have you grown the advisor ranks and what's responsible for the very impressive growth in assets? Uh, Yeah, I would just say it's going out and what we call playing in traffic. It's getting to know people in the industry. It's getting referred to great people in the industry. And whether they've been at a bank channel, an insurance channel, a wirehouse channel, an independent channel, it's just us going out and talking to other individuals, but also our advisors referring us to individuals. I mean, so our advisors, they're they're happy. They are fine with referring us to people that they think would be other great advisors inside of our firm. And so it's just, it's a collaboration of, of people coming together for the greater good and building a platform. And look, the better we do at Visionary, the better the advisor does because we can offer more and more to them that ultimately helps their bottom line become more profitable. When you're brand spanking new and you have 300 million, well, you're charging for technology. You're doing this. You're charging for that. Well, as we've grown, it's we made a major investment into a platform, into our technology platform, and we pay for that for our advisors. Well, seven years ago, we couldn't even think about doing that. But today we can and then what's the next three years and the five years and seven years and 10 years ahead of that? What does that look like? So our vision is not about size. It's not about X billions of dollars under management. Our vision is the platform that we build and what it ultimately does for the interdependent advisor that's on our platform that chooses to partner with visionary wealth advisors. How efficient can we make their practice and give them the best platform possible? Can you explain this concept of interdependence versus independence? What does it mean to you? Yeah, it's a great question. And just in all transparency, I think if a firm's, you will have people come on, especially a firm like ours, where you have individual advisors coming in to the firm, we've lost a couple of advisors. And so what happens is those advisors, as they grow, they see the greatness in running and doing your own thing as well, right? So I can't blame those advisors for that. Now, what can I learn from it? But I can't blame them for wanting to do their thing and have their name on the wall. And that's what some of these advisors, a couple that have left, that's what's happened. But the interdependent relationship is I know the cost that it takes and the time that it takes and the compliance and the marketing, the branding, the website, the cybersecurity, all the stuff that goes along with it. Most advisors don't want to have to worry about things like a lease on a printer, right? They don't want to sign their lease and and personally guarantee a lease on a commercial building. They don't want to do that. And so what we want is the advisor that's interdependent, that wants to be independent, but doesn't want to be in business by themselves. They want a platform. They want people. They want teams. 
right? And that's what we provide. And that's what I think we're really good at uh, is providing that for our advisors. And I think each advisor who joins you, even though they own their book of business, they all adopt the visionary brand. Is that correct? Yeah. So 90 something percent of them have visionary, just visionary only, but a few have visionary wealth advisors. And then like the insight group, for example, which is a team here with two of our advisors, they're the insight group of visionary wealth advisors or the Varigi group of visionary wealth advisors. And what's the benefit of doing it that way? And in the advisors that join you, of course, they have the option of having their own brand. And many people are excited by creating their own DNA and building their own their own identity versus helping build something existing. So what's the rationale for that? Yeah. And look, I don't think there's a right or wrong. I think it's just going to, again, find that person that wants to be interdependent versus independent is what we're looking for is the rationale behind that is, in my opinion, take Apple, for example, they don't have the diamond Apple store. They don't have the Gilliland Apple store in St. Louis and in Brooklyn, New York, it's the diamond Apple store, right? It's Apple. And what do you know about Apple? It stands for a great product with efficiency, easy to use, good looking, right? All those things you understand just using Apple as the analogy here, you understand what Apple stands for. No different than what, what I see and what we see is what we call the impossible company is we're trying to build this impossible company. Don't say I can't say, how do we do it? How do we build this? And we're getting it feedback from our advisors and our team and our executive team. And so how do we build this impossible company? How do we build the quote unquote Apple of financial planning. And so visionary, my vision, our vision is when I see that logo, or somebody in the community sees that logo, they know what it stands for. They know that they do comprehensive, high-end, white glove service, high-touch financial planning. They know they are really good people in the community. They give back, whether it's their place of worship or it's a charity for cancer or it's their kid's school or they're coaching in their kid's baseball team in the community. They know what that stands for. And that's what it's about for people, in my opinion. Amazing. And that's a good segue into my next question, which is about Visionary's mission and how this flows into your business. Yeah, so our mission statement is is to help people achieve a future greater than their past. I mean, if, if I had everybody that was listening to your show right now, Lewis, and I said, raise your hand if you want a future greater than your past, I would assume most everybody listening would raise their hand, right? Everybody wants a future greater than your past. And so our job is to slow down with our clients, take them off the treadmill of life, set them down for an hour, three hours, 10 hours a year, whatever it takes for that client and really open that Pandora's box and find out internally in their soul what is important to them, what, what makes them tick. It's our job to unlock that and then help all those things come out. And so then it's, again, to help those people achieve a future greater than their past. And I know a lot of people say that and they do that and they're doing great jobs in our industry of doing that, but that's just to our core. That's what we believe is to see that future be greater and helping them daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, whatever it may be, helping them achieve that. Love it. And how about charity work and community engagement? Yeah, that's huge. I mean, we have a lot of people involved in tons of charities, and whether they're sitting on boards, it's being on uh, involved in running events. My wife and I, personally, we have a, a charity, a foundation we started 14 years ago called Swing for Hope, F-O-R-E, because I'm a big golfer. So Swing for Hope, and we raise money every single year to give back to those that have been affected by cancer. My mother-in-law, 
three of her sisters or mom and, and two of her sisters all got diagnosed with cancer. My dad, six weeks after we started the foundation, had cancer. Her dad, a year after that, got cancer. So three of our four parents have cancer and or had cancer. And th thankfully, so far, they've beat that disease. And so we just make it our mission is we feel like if we've been put in this earth to get right, we all make great money from our cl wonderful clients, but we also have to give back to that community. And that's just what we believe as a firm, but just individually as well for Swing for Hope. It's a passion of ours that we just want to help as many people as we possibly can. And we help, you know, pay mortgages, pay their power bill, pay for them to get to and from chemo, whatever it may be. That's what we're about. And it's amazing. Our clients come out, our advisors come out and support the cause. And we just have a, three or four events a year to really make a big impact. That's incredible. We'll put the link to the charity on the episode page so folks can check it out and hopefully Perfect. contribute. Thank That's you. a really cool initiative. So two more questions for you. I know you're the host of the Circuit of Success podcast. You've been doing it for four to four and a half years. So why don't you give a plug for it? What do you talk about? Why did you do it? And ultimately, how does it impact your business? Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for talking about that. Yeah. The Circuit of Success, it's been around for since February of 2016, I think. And so we've had lots of shows and lots of great guests. And, and really what it's about, I always say it's, the, it's to give people the best tips and tools for their life, right? Whether that's through wealth management, it's through mindset, it's through business topics, it's through goal planning, all the things that we want to do. We've had Hall of Fame athletes to big time business people to your normal everyday business owner running around on the streets that we can learn from. And it's really picking their brains and finding out what's made them tick for the, over their lifetime, over their career and what's made them successful. It really, for me, it comes down to the four things that are the circuits of success. And it's your attitude, your belief system, the actions that you have to take every single day that ultimately get your results. And when you follow those beliefs and those attitudes and that action, you will get results in your life. And so it's really kind of peeling the onion layers back on so many great people from the men and women around the world and finding out what's made them successful in those areas and how it's helped them personally, professionally, emotionally, intellectually, financially, et cetera, to really live the life of their dreams. And again, to help people achieve a future greater than their past. I mean, of course, you're doing that podcast because it's something you're passionate about. Uh, you're not getting paid to do it. So as a business person, have you been able to track at all what sort of growth it's it's led to? And I'm asking because a lot of our advisor listeners, one of the things they envision is having a podcast or at least having the ability to and being able to generate business in a different way, scaled communication. What's been your experience with that? Yeah, there certainly has been business from that. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it's one of those things you get done having a conversation with somebody for 45 minutes and getting deep into their life and their story and their mission and what's made them tick, as I always say, I've just built a different relationship with that person, right? Versus me just going and having coffee and having a nice coffee meeting and talking about whatever. I have found that people that I, and I'm not doing it to try to get them as a client. I'm really not. I'm doing it because for me, I jokingly call it my weekly therapy. I'm sitting down with some of the best people in our world on leadership and the books they've read and the, the failures they've had, the successes that they've had. What do they do from an exercise? How do they eat better? How do they become a better dad or a husband or a wife? Whatever it may be, I selfishly get to do that every single week with these people, right? I'm learning. I'm going through therapy. But what does that do? That allows me, in my opinion, to give more to our advisors. 
I'm learning, right? I'm growing. I'm in the trenches as well as an advisor. So I know what's going on out there. I know the questions we're getting from people. It allows me to be better for our advisors. It allows me to be better for my family. It allows me to be better for the community. And if we're continually getting better day in and day out, we're all going to win. And yes, do we get clients? Absolutely. Do I track it? No, because the point of that is I want to get better. I want other people to get better that are listening to it. And our following, our listenership continues to grow week after week. And it's just one of those things that I know we're helping people get better. And then if I'm at a board meeting or I'm somewhere in the community, it, I mean, weekly something comes up about the podcast and people want to talk about it. So it's a great conversation starter as well. Final question, then we'll let you get on with your day. It's something we always ask. Any advice to advisors who may be thinking about making the leap to independence? Absolutely. I would say trust your, your gut is usually right. And I shouldn't say usually. For me, it's always right. Maybe not at the level you think it will be as quick as you think it will be. But I do believe whatever your gut is telling you is what you should follow. Because if you go to your head, right, to your actual brain, your brain is going to give you reasons. It's wired to tell us why it's going to be so difficult. And it's going to tell us why you shouldn't make that leap, why all of your clients won't come with you, why this won't happen and why that won't happen. But what your gut's telling you is, I want more. I want to be part of an interdependent or an independent relationship. That's what I'm seeking. And trust me, you will have more clients come with you than you think will have come with you. We've seen it happen time and time again. And the number one fear people have, and I'm sure you see this, Lewis, is what? My clients won't go with me. My clients don't want to move. My old firm or the firm I'm at is, they're the reason they're my client. No, that's just not true. They're with you because of who you are. Even as a leader of Visionary Wealth Advisors, I'm not naive to think the only reason somebody's a client of a guy or a gal at our firm is because of Visionary. No, it's because of that advisor. They own the relationship. And if you truly own your relationship, I say take the jump because you're going to be very successful and your mind will be blown six months from now when you make that jump of what actually happened. Yeah, powerful advice. Brett, this has been a really cool interview. Thank you for enlightening us, sharing your Jerry Maguire moment, and also just giving us some great parting words of wisdom. Absolutely, Lewis. Always good to be with you and uh, love what you guys are doing and you're helping tons of people and just absolutely love it. So keep up the great work and appreciate you having me on the show.